Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Crook your neck or if you can get a glimpse of the cross, I want you to just look at that while you transition us from that worship song. We just sung, here in the blood of Christ I stand. I'm one of those guys that would love to stay on the lawn and not move indoors. I'm sure I won't feel that way in January, but what I love about this is having a cross right in the center of our gathering, because that is our identity. Before we are anything else, we are in Christ. Primary identity of the New Testament, in Christ. It's because of that, the empty cross, that we stand and sit and move and have our being. And it's because of that that every ethic that we live by, that's why we live by it, because of who Jesus is. So let me pray for us, and then I'll introduce our guest speaker today. Jesus, just say that word, everybody. Jesus. What a beautiful name. What an eternal name. What a name above all names. What a name by which one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, you are Lord. And I thank you that it's not too late for us here, that you've, you've put us here and made us new in you, Jesus, so that we can be salt and light. Lord, these birds don't know the English language, but these chirps are them worshiping you. All creation was made to live under your lordship and does. The winds and waves still know your name. May we do the same as your followers. We give you ourselves anew and afresh right now, right here. We thank you, not only for mothers, but for women and the way that they uniquely round out who you are. In your image, you created us male and female. So we thank you for a day in this country when we pause and reflect on the difference you've made in our lives through our moms. We love you. Be honored today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You know, it's that feminine aspect of God. God is beyond gender. You know that, right? Uh, But it's the feminine aspect that Jesus uh, accessed as he was rounding a hill in Bethany about to enter into his death. And a lot of us know the triumphal entry, but the little known fact of it, that Jesus was weeping while he was riding the donkey. And we know that because Luke and Matthew record this. As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. That's driving our series right now, Be the Bridge. We believe in Christ. There is a unique gospel piece uh, to a national conversation of division that followers of Christ can represent. Jesus said, how often I've wanted to gather your children together, listen to this, as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And here's probably, in my opinion, the saddest sentence from Jesus 
in all the Gospels. He said over Jerusalem, it's too late. It's too late. You're not going to recognize why I'm coming into town. I'm not coming to be your political king. I'm coming to be the king of your life. I want to say to us, church, and I want to say to this whole city and region, it's not too late for us. This series, Be the Bridge, is because we believe because of that cross, of all people, we should be the people of God that unify in a divided states of America. And so we're going through this book called Be the Bridge, and we invite you to join us. If you haven't picked up a book, there are books available around our gathering. If you're online, go to wearepcc.com, Be the Bridge, and get in a group. Our group started last week. They are, they're fantastic and hard and messy, but that's what the people of God should be about, wrestling for unity and righteousness. So long before this series was planned, uh, as it was being planned, a group of us went through a master preaching class. You've heard of master classes. Those are big these days. There's a master preaching class, and Susie was actually in the class as a presenter, and uh, our hearts were just knit to her heart, and we said, Lord, if we could get Susie here, that would be awesome, and God tapped her heart, which we're so grateful for, and she's here. Susie is multi-ethnic as a person. Listen to this from her bio. She's Canadian by birth, Korean by heritage, Mexican by marriage, and American by immigration. She literally just became a U.S. citizen a year ago during COVID, which is awesome. It's multi-ethnic. But what I've found from meeting Susie, and the first time I met her live was this morning, a passionate woman about this topic of unity. God's really set her apart to present on this topic. Uh, she's, you need to know she's married to a husband named Marcos. She has four children. Uh, she is a youth pastor in her past. She's planted churches in South Central Los Angeles. She's a pastor right now. She loves Jesus. And I told her, we are the most applauding church on the peninsula, on the West Coast. So can you give her a Northern California applause and welcome Susie Gomez. Thank you, Pastor Gary. Well, if you'll give me just a moment to set up here. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, on a beautiful weekend like this, it's not, it's not a hard invitation to accept. And although I love my children with all my heart, it is a bit of a Mother's Day gift to be here without my four children. I love you, children. I love you. Uh, but let me start with this. I'm going to start just with the Word of God, if that's okay. I'm going to invite you to listen with me or read along from Psalm 51. And it says this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Outdoor church. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, this is the prayer of a man who felt deep grief and conviction over his sin. This is verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 51, written after the prophet Nathan came to David. Came to David after he had taken advantage of Bathsheba. 
Bathsheba, the wife of an honest, humble, upstanding soldier named Uriah. This is the prayer of David, the king who had grossly misused his authority and ignited by lust and greed, his unchecked power resulted in abuse, a web of lies, and an avalanche of heartbreaking consequences for his sin. Now, I know this is not the most uplifting way to start a sermon, especially by a person that you're meeting for the very first time. But you all asked me to come and preach about lament this morning, so I kind of had no choice. I'd usually try to start with a joke or a lighthearted story, or I'd at least take some time to introduce myself to you a little more. But today's message is about lament. And one way to describe lament, as I've heard Pastor Eugene Cho describe it, is that lament is purposeful brokenness. See, lament isn't just sadness, it's not just grief, but lament is a purposeful brokenness before God. And so why should we be purposeful about lament? Why should we be purposeful about being broken before God? I'd propose that it's because if we don't acknowledge our brokenness, we cannot heal. Before you can be restored into right relationship with God, before you receive restoration and and healing and forgiveness, you repent. And before you repent, you confess. And your confession is acknowledging that you are broken by sin. This is purposeful brokenness. See, restoration and reconciliation is God's desire for all of us. Uh, God wanted us to be reconciled to himself so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not be separated from him eternally, but reconciled with him for eternity. But his plan for reconciliation doesn't stop there. Just as God commanded us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, God commanded us to love our neighbor, to love our brother and sister as we love ourselves. So love God, love our neighbor. I love that Pastor Gary pointed us to the cross because some of you already know that the cross can serve as a visual for this vertical and horizontal love before God. God intended us to both experience the love of God and to demonstrate the love of God to the world around us. He wants us to be in love relationship with himself and with one another. So I want to walk it back right now and go back to that lament part that I started with. Before we rush ahead to the happy ending, the happily ever after, we're all one under the blood of Christ, uh, let's not gloss over the things that we need to take time to be purposefully broken about. If we don't make time to lament, we might make the mistake of thinking that our sickness is like a splinter that needs to simply be plucked out or a a scratch that we can put a band-aid over rather than a deeply rooted virus or a cancerous tumor that will have fatal consequences if left untreated. See, the sickness that we're talking about more specifically here in this series is, of course, the sickness, the sin of racism here in America and beyond. It is both a collective and individual sin to be lamented. So this morning, the question that I want to ask is, are we leaning into the discipline of being 
purposefully broken before God? Do we make space for lament over the sin of racism? Or do we feel bad for a few moments, shake our head at the state of the world, and then we keep on scrolling? Do we tell ourselves, well, at least I'm not racist, and carry on? Because it's so easy to do that, isn't it? We've, we've been conditioned to do that, especially in today's day and age. We can blame it on social media. We can blame it on our phones and our tablets and the constant barrage of media coming at us. Um, but we can't just fully blame it on our smartphones. Uh, you know, the news has been training us in that way for a long time. When we read the, uh, the newspaper or when we listen to the evening news, we have one to two minute segments where we hear a story and then we carry on to the next story. Our lives are so fast-paced. They're so fast-paced that unless you are intentional about slowing down, we're constantly looking to live life a little faster. And we do it in subconscious ways. If we weren't so concerned with speed or efficiency or at least distraction from the mundane, uh, it would mean that we would choose the longest line at Costco instead of the shortest line. It would mean that even when nobody else is around, we would do the full DMV certified four-way stop instead of the California crawl that some of us have become accustomed to. If we weren't so concerned with speed, I think that we would take more time to listen to how God wants to speak to us. Now this would mean turning off the TV for background noise. It would mean turning off the radio, our phones, our tablets, our computers, all of it. Because it is, it's so hard to be fully present to anything these days, let alone our pain, our sadness, our hurt, and our brokenness. So much of our world, especially here in America, is designed to help us feel less pain, or at least be distracted so that we won't have to face our pain so much. I have a really dear friend uh, who for the past couple of years has actually been suffering with uh, extreme chronic pain. She's, she's the same age as me, she's the mother of four, uh, but she has multiple rare diseases that have begun to ravage her body. Uh, it causes her pain all throughout the day, all throughout her body. And instead of getting better, her pain is actually becoming worse. And sometimes she tells me, you know, in all honesty, Susie, as much as I believe in the power of prayer and I believe that God can heal me, sometimes this pain feels unbearable. And I don't know what it's like to have that kind of pain. Just recently, I got my second dose of the Moderna shot. And you know, even that, just for the two days or so that I was feeling the aches and pains in my, bodies, in my body, it, it, it deepened my empathy for her. Because I thought to myself, if this is what I'm feeling, just momentarily, I can't bear to think of how much pain she must be enduring all the time. The doctors have prescribed her every kind of pain medication and high doses of it. Uh, and as time passes, as her pain increases, as a part of her pain management treatments, they've simply increased the dosage of her pain medications as well. But you know, she's, she's a fighter. She really is one of the strongest women I know, internally and externally. 
The doctors have been recommending that she increases her pain medications, but instead she's been slowly trying to decrease the amount of pain medication that she has to take. Instead of increasing her tolerance to the pain-numbing medication, she is increasing her tolerance to the pain. More than that, though, she's holding out for hope that God can heal her and make her body stronger. And this is what she said. She said, if I, if I keep trying to simply numb the pain more, how will I know if I'm actually getting better? Now, please don't take this as any kind of medical advice for something that you or someone that you love is going through. Everybody's pain is different. Every situation is different. But my point is, when we fail to treat the root cause of our pain, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're getting better when, we're, when all we're really doing is numbing the pain. I wonder if how much we pursue racial reconciliation as a church I wonder how much of how we do it simply numbs our pain rather than treating our root causes. See, the world saw the video of Derek Chauvin, a white officer with his knee on the neck of George Floyd, a black man accused of using a counterfeit $20 bill. And it wasn't as easy this time to scroll on by. The world saw, or at least heard, about the murder of, an, of yet another black man, and we were forced to sit with the brokenness of it all. The world posted and reposted and reposted about it. Millions of people had their eyes and ears on this, and millions of people marched and protested. It was unlike things that we had seen in the past. We were all at least paying a little bit more attention this time. Now, Chauvin has been found guilty, and many would say that this is not actually justice, rather accountability. Because the reality is the entire system is flawed. It's deeply racialized and need, needs a lot of repair. Some would say that it needs a complete overhaul. And so now, even if Derek Chauvin gets sentenced to a long prison sentence, I wonder if a guilty verdict and, and a hefty sentencing will serve only to numb the pain rather than to treat the root causes. Within the context of a church trying to move towards being a more multi-ethnic expression of the body of Christ, or let's just use more plain terms here. If a mostly white church is putting in the effort to become more diverse, more reflective of the community around it, and a fuller expression of the multi-ethnic body of Christ, the question is, will a person of color who's hired on staff be valued for the diversity that they bring on a surface level? Or will they be fully invited to be who they are without having to center whiteness? Will they be invited to be who they are without having to accommodate the comfort levels of the white people around them? Perhaps even if that person is hired to be the lead pastor, the quote-unquote highest-ranking person in the church, although they are also the chief servant of the church, correct, Pastor Gary? Uh, if a person of color is, is hired even to be the lead pastor of a church, of a church who is excited about being a Revelation 7 kind of church, a multi-ethnic church where every tongue, tribe, and nation is welcome. I wonder, will that lead pastor really be able to lead as he or she is led by the Spirit? 
Or will their top priority become about making sure that a mostly white elder board, the top tithers and the givers don't get upset because their comfort levels can't be pushed too far? Dr. Corey Edwards, she's a sociologist who studies multi-ethnic churches. She says in her book, The Elusive Dream, the multi-racial church works, but it only works to the extent of white people being satisfied and happy. So in other words, she says, by and large, multi-racial churches are set at the comfort level of white people. As long as white people don't get upset and leave, a multiracial church will keep going. So then is a multiracial, multi-ethnic church truly a church for every tongue, tribe, and nation? Or is it a multiracial church set at the thermostat of the comfort of whiteness? This is what we mean when we talk about white supremacy. It's not burning crosses and hoods. It's valuing the comfort of white people above everyone else. And I know this is a hard truth. I know these are hard words to hear. But Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to obey. Here's what happens when we value the comfort of white people over everyone else. We numb the pain. We numb the pain. We numb the pain. To the point that we fool ourselves into thinking that we're getting better but we're not. So if we're serious about being the bridge, what we can't afford to do is to close our ears to the voices of other people. If we're serious about pursuing God's heart for racial reconciliation, what we can't afford to do is value our own comfort at the cost of someone else's pain. If we want to be the bridge, what we can't afford to do is to pretend that the sin of racism does not exist within us within our church, within our city, within our nation. What we need to do is be purposefully broken in order to heal. Anyone who has been through some good therapy can tell you that we can't simply ignore our past if we truly want to get better. Ignoring the pain from our past doesn't help us get to the place where we can get, get to healing. What we would greatly benefit from is growing in our empathy. So in order to grow in our empathy, we need to lean into the pain of others. We need to be honest with our own pain as well. I know you spoke on empathy last week, Pastor Gary, but just as a reminder, a simple definition of empathy is the ability to understand and share in the feelings of another. I like this definition of empathy. Uh, empathy is the ability to understand another person's thoughts and feelings in a situation from their point of view rather than your own. It differs from sympathy because uh, where one is moved by the thoughts and feelings of another, sympathy maintains an emotional distance. Empathy enters into to someone else's pain. So a woman named Becca Barodi wrote a great article on the power of empathy, and she says that the benefits of empathy cannot be overstated. She says, especially in professions such as healthcare and teaching, uh, where you are responsible for the well-being of another, many individuals, both young and old, uh, benefit from the power of empathy. Past studies have shown that empathy can affect healthcare outcomes. It can reduce the length of hospital stays, and it can even make... A common cold go away faster. 
this convicts me to be a little nicer to my husband when he says he has a cold. But I wonder what greater empathy could do to make the, the virus of racism go away. I wonder if we really leaned into exercising our empathy muscles, what it would do to reduce the length of this battle. I wonder what it would do for the effective witness of the, of the church to the world around us. Empathy will allow us to experience purposeful brokenness. Empathy is powerful. God knew what he was doing when he designed us to be moved by empathy. Let's circle back again to go, and go back to the story of King David. Before David writes this prayer of confession and lament that I started with in Psalm 51, and before David asks God to create in him a clean heart, in 2 Samuel 12, this is what prompted that prayer. God used the prophet Nathan to go to David with a story. God used the prophet Nathan to bring conviction to King David through the power of story and through the power of empathy. So now David hears the story of a rich man who owned many sheep, many cattle, and he hears about how there was a rich man and a, poor, and a poor man. Now the rich man was welcoming a guest and was about to prepare a meal for his guest. And rather than taking one of his many sheep or one of his many cattle, he steals the lamb of this poor man. This, lamb, this poor man who only owned one lamb that was very precious to him. And so Nathan continues on and says, King, uh, this man, this rich man stole the lamb and prepared that lamb for his guest instead of preparing one of his own. And as he heard this story, King David burned with anger. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And of course, Nathan, Nathan says to the king, you are that man. And then David finally recognizes the depth of his sin against the Lord. And he laments. See, we can become so easily blind to our own sin. Perhaps like King David, we've increased the ways and the frequency with which we make ourselves numb to conviction. Sometimes God will use the words of a prophet to change our hearts. Sometimes God will use the word of God. Sometimes there will be good old heart-gripping conviction by the Holy Spirit that will turn our hearts towards God. And this is what we need to be paying attention to. We need to constantly pray, open my ears, Lord. Give me a heart to obey. There is so much out there that competes for our eyes, our ears, and our hearts. So we have to be attentive. We need to be purposeful about being broken before God. How do we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength if we aren't giving him our attention? Loving God requires knowing God. And in order to love God and love our neighbors well, we ought to really lean into knowing our God and our neighbors. Don't you think? I know that most of you don't know me. And for someone that you've met for the first time this morning, these, these are some hard things that I'm saying. It might feel like a lot. But in this series, I don't know if you've already heard it, but you're going to hear it. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. This is the work. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. 
And as you read chapter 3, for those of you who are going through the book, Be the Bridge, you'll know that lamentation, when you read chapter 3, you'll read the story about how Latasha learned how to be a bridge towards her mother through the power of lamentation and empathy. Lamenting the reality of her mother's pain and her father's pain in the past helped Latasha Morrison find healing in her often strained relationship with her own mother. Sitting in the sorrow with her mom, lamenting with her mother when she was going through her own grief, allowed for an emotional connection that created a pathway for healing. Some of you haven't read it yet, but when you get to it, you'll read about the atrocities of the massacre that occurred in Greenwood, Oklahoma. Greenwood was was once known as the Black Wall Street of America. It was the wealthiest black community in America at the time in the 1920s. But on May 31st and June 1st of 1921, mobs of white people with the backing of city officials attacked black residents and the businesses of Greenwood. It was a tragedy, but so few people know the history of what happened there. There was an erasure, a denial of an historical tragedy that left 10,000 black residents homeless. And it wasn't until 2020 that the massacre became a part of the Oklahoma School District curriculum. So here again, Latasha is asking us to face the reality of systemic racism. She shows us the power of acknowledgement and lament. And again, she's saying, it's not too late. Even if it takes years and years, it's not too late. Surely we know about the sin of slavery, but there are so many untold stories like what happened in Greenwood, glossed over and sanitized stories that we must face from our past and our present. Because if we continue to gloss over them, our pain will be dulled. We will continue to numb the pain. And finally, there's Deanna's story. In chapter three, you'll read about a white woman who had to go through the painful process of acknowledging and lamenting her family's own personal past in racial atrocities. She had to battle guilt and shame and her own road to healing was long and it was painful, but this was all a part of her own restoration. Here's the thing about lament. Though it is purposeful brokenness before God, and yes, it's hard sometimes, it's an intentional sitting in the pain, ultimately, it is rooted in hope. I'm so filled with hope because you, PCC, have chosen to go through this series. Many of you are reading this book. Many of you are in community groups discussing this book, and you're doing the work, as they say. You're leaning into this, and I know that this is not just a sermon series that you'll gloss over and and, then think you'll pat yourselves on the back and say, oh, we've done the work, we're good now. I know that this has been a journey for years for many of you, and I'm glad that you're willing to lean into the discomfort of some of these conversations because I believe that God is doing a good work in you right now and God will continue to do good works through you there will be a purposeful brokenness that you have to endure but the outcome will be so good and so beautiful so can I just commend you for taking for for being willing to go on this journey as a woman of color myself it gives me hope and I'm just I'm looking out to the people who are here and those who will be watching from home or elsewhere and I'm just filled with hope because we're leaning into the reality of what it looks like to be 
a true multi-ethnic, multicultural vision of, of the church body as described in Revelation 7. So thank you for being committed to loving God and loving your neighbor. When King David prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He's in a place of lament and sorrow over his sin, but he brings his sorrow to the Lord, and he brings his sorrow to the Lord in hope that God's mercy, love, and compassion will endure. That his mercy, loving compassion will lead to forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation. God does not despise a broken and contrite spirit. He's near to the brokenhearted. He lifts up the humble but tears down the proud. But God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and his mercies are new every morning. But first, we take time to be purposeful in our brokenness. We lament. So let me end with the prayer that we find at the end of chapter 3 in Be the Bridge. Will you join me in this prayer? Lord, as we become aware of the intensity of the racial divide, our hearts are broken. Help us not to rush from this place of hurting to triumphalism or repair, but rather lament as you call us to do. May our lament be a form of worship, a joining of our hearts with yours as we grieve the lack of your kingdom justice here on earth. Strengthen us for this path as without you the overwhelming depth of the problems that must be addressed and acknowledged would be devastating. But we know that you mourn with us and comfort us as we mourn with one another. In Christ's holy name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC. PCC.